How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 117. Ooh, ooh. Yes! Thank God. Very good. <laughs> well, well, you should be clued in, Zeke, because you should have a 2017 quote for Monsieur Jake Diagrella. I which, do. Which is me. I do. I'm introducing um, myself again. So I think time. you should get this one. Okay. Um, we have talked a little bit about this film on the show. We haven't reviewed it on the show. Can I... So I'm currently four for one. Yes. Not including the point that Steven stole from me two <laughs> weeks ago. Can I have that point back be solely because I got the Civil War quotes so quickly? Yeah, I'll give it to you. Thank so we'll give you, you five, you. five to one. Yeah. All right, I'm you doing can argue right. with Steven about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going uh, to text him like I stole your point. <laughs> all right. Um, here we go, man. This all is right. from a 2017 film. <sighs> okay, here we go. You always thought we were part of God's plan, but maybe we were a part of God's mistake. Ooh. I've seen this, have I? Yes. Okay. 2017. I can... There's first, a... first year we went to uni, Seek. Yeah. First year uni. Um. Oh, um, is it three billboards? Is three billboards your final answer? Uh, I'm going to say yes, because I can't think of anything else. It was not three billboards. Ah, damn it. It was Logan. Oh, okay. The follow-up line I, I was, what a that. disappointment you are. When I found you, you were pursuing a career in cage fighting. A warm caper to life as an assassin, hooked on barbaturities. <laughs> you were an animal, but we took you in. I gave you a family. You're not going to believe me, but I might have still not gotten it even after that. Oh, that was... That uh, sounds see, like... Charles's reply. I know, that seems to... like a, a com- perfect description of the movie. Yeah. But if, if I didn't know it was Logan, I'm, I don't think I would have gotten closer. Fair. Fair, fair, fair. I'm, I'll take that loss with... with uh... I gave you a point, though. So you're breaking even this week. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing right. Yeah, one, one five for and, one. Yeah, five and two. <laughs> now, yeah. how you doing, Jake? I'm tired. God, is that feel news? that. <laughs> is that news to anyone that we're tired? <laughs> this yeah. is my week of freedom. There's yeah, you you're, you got a week off. You're done, kind of. And then I'm on prac. For ten mm. weeks, so ten weeks. Yep, ten weeks. So Jeez. that's my career, quick career update. I'm very Let's tired. Talk, talk about the kids. Literally this week, it's going to be really funny. We've made a joke about it off the air, but if mm. I come in next week for one eighteen and I've watched fifteen films, you know I've had the week off. <laughs> like we <laughs> then just, nothing's come up. We just right. were talking about it just before the start of the show too. It's like uh, Letterbox now tells you how many films you've watched this year. Yeah, on the on the phone app specifically. On the phone app specifically. Yep. Um, I've never used the the computer version. Oh yeah, the the browser has more okay. things on there, but the phone now has um, your. Years. And I've only watched thirty seven this year. Seeing as I was doing the three sixty five last year, and I got to three twenty. Like, That's so close, man. Yeah, Damn. really lost steam in like the last two months. I am at, see, I'm at 42, so I'm actually ahead of you. Wow. But you got to keep in mind, that includes at least a few short films, but, but two specifically from the aforementioned Stephen Clark. And I'm going to say, that's pretty much all I watched the past week, was just Stephen's two films <laughs> that he's been working on. But um, otherwise, yeah, it's been a... Been a tough week, Zeke. We've been yeah, I can't dangling say... off uh, high wires. <laughs> I can't say I have like... too much at the forefront of this show uh, to mm. talk about. Um, looking at uh, what I've watched, I've covered four films, including the film of the week, in which I watched all three of them yesterday. So it's like oh, they're fresh. Uh, they're fresh off your. So this was the Ron Howard trilogy, uh, centered around the uh, the Da Vinci Code trilogy is probably the best mm. way. Of... 
yeah, aligning that's, that's it. Right. Um, so obviously these films started in 2006 and ended in 2016. Um, yeah, these were very, uh, uh, how you put it, seldom sort of kind of caper. They sort of align the uh, religious allegories of art in lined with like your national treasure sort of caper films like mm. sort of mysteries but of course it doesn't cultivate with them uh finding treasure like they're doing things like national treasure and like indiana jones it's it's about sort of like more like a, a mix of the murder mystery genre and uh, and this caper genre right and obviously all-star tom hanks um they're fine that's <laughs> <laughs> probably the best i can give um praise wise they ron howard films often we've i think we talked about it when he did you know when we watched hillbilly elegy it's like there's nothing inherently wrong with them but they sometimes they do occasionally or honestly predominantly i find with his films they hit that middle just satisfactory level more more often than not very few times does he ever really especially in his like mid to later career like up until now there's only a few times where i've watched one of his films and gone oh yeah i forget like he's a he can be a really good director like mm. watching rush a couple of weeks oh, uh, years, yeah. uh, years ago You'd like one of great great example of a film that he did that was actually really solid really strong and then he got his stuff like his early 2000s work like you know like a beautiful mind and and uh cinderella man where it's like yeah his, his films with russell crowe are actually pretty strong see uh, i've seen very few of his films the only one from that era i've seen is well the grinch and mm. that i feel like that's like past the point of critical analysis like that's just like cemented in the christmas culture and like the mm. annual <laughs> rewatch of the grinch um but the only other ones i've seen was hillbilly and star wars a solo a star wars story which i did not like either of them whatsoever so yeah it's kind of it's kind of interesting because it's like i I don't mind his direction style, but it's never been something that it's like, if you said to me, oh, I'll cite your five best directors, I don't think many people would ever put Ron Howard up there in there. Mm. He's a serviceable five, director. It's funny because he's the one with the masterclass course on directing. <laughs> oh, Scorsese has one too. Oh, really? I'm pretty uh, sure he does. That's fair. Um, yeah, just so do that one instead. <laughs> I don't really have too much to add about those three films there. You know, it, they're fine you know they're, they're, they're the definition of like a popcorn he's like probably, he's probably he's like a popcorn director like you'll go right. and watch his film and you'll see it at hoyt's because let's be honest you'll never see a ron howard film at, at luna no that well they they did play hillbilly elegy at no, luna but they, i think that's more of a it's coming to netflix so we're giving it a small theatrical release beforehand yeah. kind of thing not a ron howard kind of thing and clearly he must he must be doing something right because he does get really solid like really big budgets for his films and and always really strong casts i mean that's like pretty good definitely inferno that the third one of them had the weakest cast by a considerable mile but right i mean Angels well, and it's, Demons not, it's, had not, a, it's not like an anthology isn't it like oh yeah it's a, it's a trilogy no, I know, but like, it, isn't it the same cast throughout all three films? No. no, Tom Hanks is the only common denominator. Oh, okay, I um, see now. Yeah, because that was my thinking. Is Tom Hanks is in all of them? Yeah. Oh, Ewan McGregor's in in, in the second one, and, and that's probably the the strongest of the three. It doesn't break a th- you know like a three star up, but it's definitely probably the best of the three. Um, 
and that probably has the strongest cast too. So okay, um, Paul Bettany, you know the first one. Yeah, some good, good casting here. These right. movies look, these movies look lonzig. I don't want to watch those. They are long. <laughs> I, I like I said, popcorn, popcorn films is probably the best way to encompass it. Like they're like popcorn. You enjoy it, and but it's substance. <laughs> but it's and not a golden chock top. No, we award those to special films yeah. only. But it's not quite a stale popcorn. It's a satisfactory popcorn. Uh, it might get like the third or fourth spot in our stale popcorn awards. <laughs> exactly, just plug in the awards show. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, tune in for what episode? What fifty two and one hundred four, and then eventually one hundred fifty eight. Yeah, no, one hundred fifty six. It is either six or right. I forget how math works. Yeah. Our episode 150 is like not even in December. Like it's like late November. Oh, so I'm, yeah, I'm getting very confused with how math yeah, works anymore. That's fair. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's really all I've caught in the last week. That's um, fair. I, I did rewatch Uncut Gems and it's as excellent as it was the first so several good. times I you watched it. You need to it. do your Adam Sandler cosplay. I do. I thought yeah. I was like, oh god, that, he's like our costume is just so iconic, and I could pull it off. Now I can do like a decent goatee, so yeah. I could totally pull it off if Absolutely. I tried. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. So I feel like this is going to be a very film of the week discussion episode, really. Yeah. I'm sure we can um, pretty much jump in. The the yeah the only career update I can even think of is, like I said, seeing Steven's films. Half of that was me. Well, piano I had no involvement in, so I got to watch that in a theater with no. Mm. preconception what the film was um and i really loved it so there's that but then uh the raven which i was on set for and i'm doing the bts for and was involved in helping put together the dcp so that was a little bit of a i'm peeking behind the curtain before it's completely ready moment mm. um but it's some i'm really proud to have been a part of that so hopefully the audience can watch it soon enough and uh yeah i'm actually i'm helping drop the dcp off as soon as we finish recording today Exciting times. Well, yeah. I guess it is time then for us to move into our film of the week and the eighth of eight eighth. best picture nomination. Right? Oh, good. I have no idea where you're going with that. Well, you were correct. I took us there. Um, but Jake, <laughs> what are we watching? This week of the show, we're watching The Father. You see, the situation is very simple. My daughter is of the opinion that I cannot manage on my own. I'm so sorry about this. Why? She understands perfectly. is important. I explained it all to you. Why do you keep looking as if there's something wrong? Everything is fine. I think she tries to do the best she can for you, Anthony. Everything will be all right. I promise you. There's something funny going on. A man refuses all assistance from his daughter as he ages. As he tries to make sense of his changing circumstances, he begins to doubt his loved ones, his own mind, and even the fabric of his own reality. Alright. Let's, yeah, let's, let's do this. <laughs> Where do you start with this film? Okay. Um, yeah, I, so I saw this, I actually saw this almost immediately after we recorded last week's episode. And you only saw it a couple of days ago? Saturday, yeah. Yeah, Saturday, okay. Um, and I figured you would like it. It's one of my favourite films of 2020. And then I saw you gave it a letterbox score. You gave it five out of five stars. I did. Which is not a very common score you give. <laughs> no, I think 
there's less than 20 films on my letterbox that have a five star rating. I, and I made a post on Instagram. um, I did see that too. Which uh, I don't do too often anymore. Um, Yeah, this film kind of hit all kinds of of levels. Um, This is, without detracting from like Olivia Coleman's performance and, and even the performance of, of course. Uh, the whole ensemble, because there is quite a collection of them actually mm-hmm. by the end of it. This is Anthony Hopkins film. Yeah. Um, through and through. And it's, I don't know which way they're going to go with the best actor. <laughs> um, it's a weird year. Cause it's, but, um... it's really tough. With with obviously the Bozeman, um, you know Chadwick Bozeman's performance being really strong in in Ma Rainey's, but it's just and it, I know it's like Sir Anthony Hopkins, who I think has been nominated at least three or four times, yeah, and he's won one for Hannibal Lecter. So, sure. but I just this film is just you can't. I ended up having a you know, I've had a lot of conversations with it following watching it but it um you can't not give it to him for that performance I, I don't think I've ever seen such an accurate uh, emp- an accurate empathetic depiction mm. of this particular mental illness ever mm. and I don't think we're ever going to see uh a film embody this illness in particular this good ever again. I don't think there will ever be a film that'll ever come close because what this film does is it perfectly encapsulates what it's like to be in the shoes mm. of someone who is slowly succumbing to, you know, Alzheimer's or dementia, you know. And I think that, you know, it's like that that just breaks you. It breaks your heart and it's yeah. It's obviously, you know, there are other films that, you know, like that have tackled this issue even in the last five or six years. I mean, you had Still Alice a couple of years ago, mm. and that was early uh, onset Alzheimer's. But they always take the angle of how it affects, kind of more they have how the it affects other people a, a, around the, them. The yeah. ripple. Whereas this one fully embodies the frustrations and, and, and what it's like to be in his shoes. Mm. Um, and everyone around him, obviously, they're affected by it, but it's not the focus like it is. In, no, in like other that. Films. I I love the way that's depicted too. But you're right. Like that is not what makes this film special. It is yeah. the Anthony Hopkins being in his head and interpreting that through the editing, the way the camera moves around, and how that like just his performance is like fucked up good. Yeah. And we don't swear much on the show anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're right with that sort of the race where, and I, it's funny, I said it last week with Sound of Metal where it's like, oh, I feel like there's a bit of a new wave in cinema just on the horizon of like great representation of like disabilities and, and you know, we talked about deafness last week and then immediately we watched this film, mm. <laughs> which is such a perfect depiction of, of dementia. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really tough, and I think this film's achievement comes from, like, I think the the big point I, I took away from it was this is the best stage to screen adaptation mm. ever. Like, 
just across the board flat and it's been a big year for that because you know of the eight nominations um, well the big thing was Ma Rainey and One Night Miami didn't even get yeah, best picture noms but it's, we would argue they were nine and ten so of the ten they, best yeah, films yeah. three of them were stage plays you mm. know like that's that's impressive you know um, and then you you know it's like that's sort of really quite important I think um, that some of the most liked films of the last year were staged screen adaptations. But uh, those two films, One Night Miami and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, definitely adhere more to their stage roots than this film does. This film fully takes the film ball and runs with it mm. um, and really utilises the tools that a film has that a stage play doesn't have to its disposal. Like like you brought up the editing is a huge example um which you could convey on in a stage play but it's what they do with it it's how they structure it it's how they transition between uh you know it's it utilizes those elements that are exclusive to the film medium to their best effect to complement the story that you know and to bridge you know the narrative yeah, well, that that's the thing I agree because like when I was watching it, and I did know it was a stage play, and, and this is technically Florian Zeller's first film directing gig, which is just kind of unfair, Zeke. This is <laughs> it's a little unfair. Um, no, it's brilliant, and and you can kind of see the way when characters come in and out of the room, the blocking and some of the dialogue. You you can kind of tell like this. You can totally see it as a stage play, but it's completely enhanced. You're right, like the way that would move the camera from one hallway to another, or I mean, the editing, I knew the editing was going to be amazing going into it, but, you know, I thought of films like I'm Thinking of Ending Things or even Triangle, these films that have, like, these eerie kind of almost horror genre tropes with the editing to kind of freak you out and display repetitiveness. And we're going to talk about repetitiveness a lot today, I think. But this film takes the more grounded approach with that, where the the editing, it's not a trope in terms of trying to add horror to the scene and, and to scare you and freak you out. It does it simply by being confusing. Mm. Like, it doesn't have to have, like, eerie music and then under it. It's, like, just having this confusing state of events of people walking in and out and whose face is what and scenes kind of repeating in a weird way. Like, that's stuff that you can only do so well on stage. But the film, you're right. Every possible tool they're able to use, they use it in this film to, to disorientate you to confuse you and to, you're right, put you in Anthony Hopkins' head. Yeah. It's terrifying. It's, yeah, I, I think that you, you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, it's, it's a tough, it's kind of a tough story to really kind of talk about point for point. Mm. Like, cause obviously it's got a very incoherent sort of narrative structure. It's, it, you wouldn't even call it a like a DABC story show. It'd be like a DFGE two <laughs> three like it, it's just numbers in there start now. throwing numbers in there, <laughs> and it's meant to be obviously deliberately incoherent, and and that's what it, that just helps bolster the fact that we are trying to tell this story from this character uh, perspective, and we're really trying to immerse you in that frustration and mm-hmm. and how sorry you feel for him and you know i think other films that have tried to 
you know, talk about this mental illness, yeah, obviously they take the outside looking in perspective rather than the inside looking out. But And it, it becomes a little bit... Um, obviously it helps just like doing it the other way, like from how it affects other characters, mm-hmm. does um, disjoint you a little bit from being inside the, the character's yeah, head because um, what they have to outwardly project is the only way to really capture what their mental illness yeah. is. Whereas Hopkins, it's it, it, because of his character and the way that Zeller's told the story is, is allows us to see why he's getting frustrated mm. at, at, at certain things or... Um, well, it's just more an empathetic approach mm-hmm. because you're right. When, when you focus on the characters that it's affecting they become a hindrance and they become the antagonist of the story. And that is not an empathetic approach. Yeah. So I agree. You putting, putting your headspace in there and then, then making you understand what's happening in this person's head, that that's where the empathy comes from. And that's where the almost respect comes from to really terrify. In, in terms of structuring something that's so incoherent, you could not meticulously structure a better narrative at the same time. <laughs> it's the most like, perfect uh polarizing like way right obviously we but fully 100 percent capturing someone's intention of structure to like cause and like, cause and effect you know like right the way he wanted to structure it is exactly the way it's played out and it plays out well, perfectly i'm this is the thing i'm really curious about because i don't know how intimate your relationship is with dementia like in your family or like who you know or anything like that. Uh, yeah, I had a nan. Okay, that got it. So, yeah, um, pretty bad. Yeah, but this was two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. So I was only okay. Ten, eleven. So the the comprehension of particularly like obviously what my mum had to undertake mostly mm. um, was the the most important thing. I think she's avoiding this film and i know quite a few people that are avoiding this film yeah no, that's true. um because it it does hit so close to home because even if you like obviously looking back on it didn't really fully comprehend what was going on at the time but then watching it now you you really um you just get caught up in it oh yeah, yeah. it sucks it, yeah. it just like it hurts to like think that that's what someone's going through and what it must be like for them and um, to have that array of people um, all having different sort of attitudes and values towards how to approach that. I think that's another really uh, important distinction um, that I haven't seen is there were characters that were uh, not sympathetic towards mm. Hopkins character in this. Ah uh, yeah yeah yeah. Um in particular Olivia Coleman's uh, husband Paul Paul. Um and that's a really important distinction because in a lot of these films that tackle these illnesses they either isolate it to a husband wife relationship in which the sympathy is always there. Um or but they very rarely address the yeah the, the no one ever wants to play the devil's advocate character I guess because mm. They come off heartless and and stuff, but you know Paul's character for the most part um, comes off more impatient, I think, um, and uh, definitely I don't know if he had the best relationship with Hopkins' character 
when he was a little bit more uh, mentally stable mm. too. And I think that comes off in his performance. It's a really solid performance um, because you can tell uh, you know, this is putting a, a serious strain on their marriage and uh, he's holding him accountable, I think, for that. And the there are people that will always look for the easy solution, put him in a home, make it someone else's problem. Yeah. We've got to live our lives now. Like they had their time. Like that's, that's definitely a, a mental state of, of quite a number of people that have people with, with mental illness. And I like this film's bravery to address that character. Um, mm, the pole character. Yeah. <laughs> and sort of the, you know, I think we are, we haven't really addressed some of the elements that help us empathize a bit more with Hopkins's character um, from a like confusion standpoint, um, which is just really impressive. The sort of the hot swapping of of actors playing the same characters right, because yeah. they're people from other elements of of the real world that he's getting mixed up. Um, and the first time we see that is actually with Paul. Um, yeah, he's the first one that really throws a wrench into the our consciousness of the narrative and what's happening. Um, well, the, yeah, because the reason the reason I asked is about the whole like you know your relationship to it with my relationship to it because it was a similar thing where it's like yeah my nan or my avua uh, had dementia and I was it was actually 2017 that you were mentioned earlier that was when she passed so it was a bit more I was much more conscious of it as it was happening mm-hmm. just because i was already like in my late teens early how old was i 20 yeah i think i was 19 so i'm not my 20s yet but um when i was watching this it was almost the first 10 minutes especially was almost like a checklist of you know the things we were talking about where there is that the paranoia of you know oh she's taking my watch i can't find my watch you know or fa- the favoritism for the missing sibling you know where is she i, I haven't seen her where is she and then and um, jealousy of that, like, and then, like you said, confusing people with other people or younger versions of themselves, mm-hmm. and that was one of my theories. The first time that um, Catherine walks in, who ends up being the nurse at the very end of the film, mm-hmm. um, but she walks in and there's a confusion. I actually thought that that was a younger Olivia Coleman. Like, I generally thought that's who that casting was. They actually look very similar if you put their photos side by side. I did that as soon as I walked out of the theater. Um, But because of that, and we have that relationship to it, and like I'm checking the boxes, being like, yep, yep, yep. Like, this is so accurate. This is spot on. I love this. Um, That I wonder what it's like for someone who just has no idea, has no connection to dementia. And I'm sure most people do. I think it's become a, it's one of those. Um, you know, it's sort of like depression, anxiety. It's become a very um, people know for, about forefronted it. awareness mm. for illness. I, I think because a lot of people, especially now, I mean, there's a lot of research connecting that it, even things that we consume in our diet lead to it in latter life. And I think nowadays, it's um, whether it be dementia or Alzheimer's, there are so many factors that if you're not careful, you you can be it's not just hereditary which Mm. i think some people thought it was just hereditary which it absolutely is not Mm. um uh, it feels kind of natural like just the idea of dementia where you if the way this film just picks it is like it's almost like your brain's sort of melting very slowly well it just comes back to you're in the latter stage of your life so 
non-vital systems are mm. shutting down yeah. to sustain the vital systems. So um, it's it's potentially, you know, like even like memory is, is something that's not from an, you know, a mm. biological animalistic point of view is, is not something that's vital. Um, it's gets, you know, it does, it's not completely without that point. Um, but, um, yeah, it's definitely a naturalistic process. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of people one way or another have been affected by. Yeah. Um, whether it's a, a grandparent or, a, you know, some, you know, tragic cases, it's, uh, I, th- I feel like at this point it's very uh, very aware about in, uh, you know whether it be a friend's grandparent or something or a, if it's early onset Alzheimer's it can be even a parent and yeah I think uh, it it's really like I said it's really interesting to be taking uh, to be watching a film that fully puts you in the shoes of the person suffering it and really uh, right you know projects outwardly what that's like mm-hmm. and you do have a new level of empathy for this character and then you take that your experiences from outside the film and you project that inwards because you know um you, oh, if you've had if you've been in close proximity to someone with that sort of mental uh illness then it, it hits home way harder because yeah you start to get an understanding even if they have passed on um, what that was like for them in that period of time mm. of declining health. Mm. Well, that's... Because I, I totally agree with you. I think it's almost, like, akin to someone, like... Every, everyone knows someone who's had cancer mm-hmm. or, like, these horrible things that have happened. Like, I feel like everyone just knows... It becomes such an intri- integral part of someone's life is just knowing this. But what my curiosity stems from is I felt like when I was watching this film, I, I was a few steps ahead than I think the film almost expected me to be. Not that I was ever 100% conscious of what was happening mm-hmm. at every point. But what I mean is like, you know, when, when Anthony, and that is his name, Anthony, Anthony Hopkins, he born pl- on the same day. Born on the same day, December 1930. I think those little, those little yeah. things, because obviously those are tweaks, obviously from the stage play. I doubt very much that... Uh, I think um, this, this script was written for him. Yeah. But I think like... Um, Alfred Molina and stuff have played the stage version of this character. Like, you're right. It's gone to other people. So it's obviously, it's a deliberate tweak, but it, yes. it's just such a clever, intentional tweak mm-hmm. because it hits home way harder because you're taking that, what you know of him, mm. and you're projecting it inwards. Like, the fact that they have the same birthday, it's such a subtle line tweaks that they just add that immersion to it, you know? Yeah. It, it's and, a fun tweak, and for I, sure. I think even for the from the actors in the actors' shoes, that's got to hit. I reckon that's got to have some effect on their performance too. Mm. Having it personally tied to them, especially for someone like Anthony Hopkins, who you know he was born in thirty nine. He's in his early. At, I think he's eighty three now. Because you know December. that's got to mentally, yeah. and he does have a you know a career on the stage. I'm pretty sure as as oh well God, as on screen. Course, yeah, yeah. So. I think for him, that would have been something he really appreciated because that just adds that level of immersion that he can really bring, like a methodology. Yeah, because there's almost, at that point, there's so little distance you can take when the character has your name and your birthday. 
you know, it's not like you're playing someone that's 10 years older than you and like, oh, I hope this doesn't happen to me one day. It's like, no, this could be, this is anyone that you right now. Yeah. People who are significantly younger than 83 can suffer from this. Absolutely. So I agree with you. It's a cool little tweak to sort of, I feel bad for Anthony in a way. <laughs> Makes you want to check on him after. Yeah, it's like, you're right, you're doing it. I mean, his, his performance alone. Well, I'm he, gets sure handed, he gets handed an Oscar for it. I mean, he probably won't feel so bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he walks up, he's like, what's this for? Oh, uh, 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 yes. Oh. Uh-huh. And actually, that actually kind of reminds me, I think the perfect encapsulation of how engrossing this film is, because I saw it with um, my friend Damien, and we were both so like engrossed by the film and the ending and the credits rolling. We just sort of like, we're looking at each other being like, wow, wow, wow. And before we knew it, the cleaners were asking, are you here for the next session? Can you please get out? And we're like, oh, the credits are rolled and everyone else has left. <laughs> it's like this film is having an effect. I don't want it to have on us. <laughs> so I think it, funny. Yeah, I don't think it was a dry eye in my cinema. Mm. Um, it was a, the scene that hit home hardest for me, um, I'll probably talk a little bit more about my highlight scene. Okay, yeah. um, I th- I thought the ending was strong, but it wasn't the the thing that really hit hit home for me. I think the hardest. There is a scene I think is much sadder than the ending, mm. but you might be about to mention it now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you? I mean, do you want to talk about anything else? Um, I got a few things in mind. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because you're right. It kind of does kind of um the scene. Oh, let's talk about the ending because I don't think it's either of our highlight scenes. The no. ending. So, I think the thing, like I said, there's a repetitiveness to this film, and, and the the thing that was so clever I noticed was how between all the locations, the flats, the hospital, even though that's sort of an eerie, dreamy sequence, the mm-hmm. nursing home at the end, the design of the hallways and the placements of the doors were basically identical. And I was like, that's such a clever way, again, to put us in the mindset of, like, the geography is identical, even though the location is different. And how his flat is sort of merging from his flat to Olivia Coleman's flat and back and forth and the picture disappearing and reappearing. Um, so I thought just in terms of set design, and this film actually did get nominated for production design. Absolutely. Which should. I got confused if and then saw the film was like, I get it. Completely get it now. Brilliant yeah. stuff. Um, so I loved the way they did with that. And then again, sort of switching back and forth with that. What, what would you say? Here's the thing. I think the film is actually, as much as we say it's sort of, plays with chronological timelines and stuff i do think the actual thread if you like read the plot line on wikipedia it is a very linear story that we're just sort of Mm. i i think the dialogue and the things that characters are saying are getting mixed up for past experiences but i think it's ultimately is a linear straightforward story we do start with this conversation he has with olivia coleman and then end with him in the nursing home i feel there are a couple Mm. Of exceptions, I think it comes think it comes back to it's like how many days does this take over? Like how many mm. days is this story over? Because um, you'd be you'd be right to say something like ah oh, three or four days, but it's actually a matter of weeks and months and mm. like like it's well, even the ending. Considerable I think that's of that's time. what like a twelve month jump, something like that. Uh, yeah, it's at least it's, it's a, a big, very jump. considerable period of time. So. Uh, if you watch the film, it sounds like it only takes place over... Like, if you watch it from his perspective... It, it feels short. Three or it? four days, yeah. maybe. And it's actually, like you said, probably closer to a year. So, I think that's really important. Um, 
I can't get the exact mark. I remember it being a long you just, time, though. You think of how many times he's asleep. Like, that's... Mm. Like, I think it's at least three or four times, so... Um, that we see on camera him sleeping. So, right. it, I think it, it those are important distinctions. Obviously, his conversation with Catherine at the end of the film, Coleman, that Coleman's character had been gone for a considerable period of time yeah. at that point. So, I think it, it's definitely... To say it's a linear narrative, I guess we are linear, like from a linear perspective, we are watching his decline in health over the course that's, of the film. Yeah, that's true. Um, like considerable. He, seem, he seems very switched on. Yeah, a little out scene. of it, but not, yeah. And what I thought was the little side, bear with me, I thought was very clever about that first scene is if you look at the production design, there's mountains of books and like the cases there's like a chessboard on the ground. They actually, without saying anything, they really established that he is sort of an active, um, he keeps his mind active. He's playing mm. chess and reading books, which, you know, again, personal experience, like my nan didn't have that. She didn't speak English. She didn't drive. She didn't really have any friends. So her mind deteriorated faster because yeah. there was n- almost nothing for it to do. So I, that, that was a very clever thing to include in those first shots. Yeah. It was the same thing with my nan. Um, my granddad on my dad's side mm. eventually suffered the same problem and his was a result of uh, predominantly he just sat in a nursing home and just yeah. watched TV. And it's like that definitely led to, you know, we can bring it back to even like watching I Care A Lot and talking about that. It's oh, like yeah. that sort of um, routine culture doesn't help mental states at all. No. Um, and they, you know, they, they talk about that a little bit in I Care A Lot. Um, but it, I think, yeah, it's it, having an active mind and differentiation is huge. Mm. Constantly learning new skills and drawing and definitely at the start of the film, it, it feels like he's not, it's only as the film goes on, does his, his apartment become more barren, more, uh, there are more boxes popping up, Yeah, which, um, Obviously, we follow... So, it's definitely a linear decline in his mental state. That's a good um, point. But in terms of physical time periods in the world, yeah, it's yeah. all over the place. Because there, okay. there are times he'll leave the room and he'll come back and he'll be hearing the same conversation from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's a great scene as well. Yeah. Um, just like the pale... It kind of makes you feel like you're going crazy too. So, when he's frustrated... You feel you understand and that's just like yeah. that perfect parallel, like empathy. Like that's why this film is just, it's just got like in years to come, this is a film that if you want to talk about this mental condition in particular, this will be the film to watch. Yeah. There won't be another film. It's hard to imagine. And it's funny because when we get to the end of this show, we might very well be talking about another film <laughs> that's going to attempt to do this, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's the depiction and just the way it puts you in the headspace. And it just, like, you're right. I can't really imagine them doing it in any better way, shape, or form. And the performance, I mean, the, the one I love, and this goes back to the ending as well, is when that final sort of breakdown, when he almost childlike, when he's looking for his mom or he's calling out for his mom. And it's just like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just like it had to be mentioned. You just it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's brilliant. I I went. I think I was the youngest person in my oh, cinema. Probably me too. Yeah. And I was wearing like a hockey jersey. I was the most. <laughs> I was the most off kilter person to be watching that film, and I'm just sitting there by myself. Just, 
<laughs> Jesus Christ! So, yeah, you. Saw I that by don't yourself, think I've cried that much that. in a f- in a film in a cinema. Yeah. Um, I had like good. Really wish I was by myself in that cinema because I would have just ugly cried. Yeah, you <laughs> were. Yeah, good... just let it all out. Let it all out. Needed a green book situation. <laughs> I rewatched that in the last week. Actually. Oh, really? Sorry, I didn't talk about it in the first half of the show. Hold uh, up or now? Uh nah. It's it's not. I watched it with Sarah, and Sarah really liked it. Um, okay. I mean, we really liked it when we saw. I it liked the first it. Time. I still liked it, but I mean, it, it, winning, there's so many winning. like just. So, it's so obviously like oh, some of the editing. I didn't realize that was one of the, some of the editing is really average. Okay. Yeah. I I think that that was. I think winning best picture was probably one of the worst things that ever happened to that movie. <laughs> yeah, because people started really watching. People it. started yeah not liking it anymore, <laughs> including us. Kind of. I got to. Didn't it beat Moonlight? Oh no, that was the year before. That was like, yeah, it was a different year. Yeah. Um. No, Moonlight won. Moonlight mm. won. And and the segue, I don't think uh, this isn't gonna. I it's sad because they just had the Baftas. Yeah. So if it was gonna do big anyway, it would have been the Baftas. I actually haven't even looked. I might even do that in real time quickly. Quick real time check. How the Baftas can? I know No Man Land crushed it again. Um, I think actually, um, uh, Francis McDormand won for um, for performance. So now literally all. Nearly all five of the best actresses are now won at least one award, except for Vanessa Kirby. Right. So that race is just a complete. Who knows? Okay, the father won adapted screenplay, and oh, oh, and Anthony Hopkins won leading actor. This is I the think first he time might. Chadwick I didn't win. I think he might get it. I th- and the reason I think he might get it oh. is is with Ma Rainey. I'm glad he won you know, something this season, yeah. At the end of the day, they're both stage-to-screen adaptations, and I think that is a huge distinction. And they both technically have, you know, ensemble casts, but Hopkins' character has so much more to do than Bozeman's character. He's a very important character in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But right. he has really been sharing the spotlight with Viola Davis, this whole awards campaign, mm-hmm. really. And he's gotten a lot of acclaim for it. He deserves that. Um, but this is one of those films that I don't think we're ever going to see. This might be one of Hopkins' last really great performances, you know? Yeah. Like, something like it's this. It's one of his best, period. Period. Like, if you watch this and you watch Silence of the Lambs, I think you're getting the best two Hopkins. I mean, I love him first season of Westworld, too. Great performance in that. And oh, it's yeah. like... Like really great. Do you like him in four? The Dark World. <laughs> so weird sometimes. He was, he was like He was in one of the first MCU movies ever. Um <laughs> And he was in a Transformers film. Um, oh my god. So it's like this is the thing. This is like this you know, for a man who has been doing this for sixty sixty five years hmm. To say that this might be his best performance ever, that's huge. And you need to reward that. I mean, uh, I think that it's, to me, it'll be a shame if he doesn't get it. And I think, I I, I really, I stand by that. He, carry, like, he carries it. He had the duty to carry this film, and this film falls apart mm-hmm. without his performance. Um. And yeah, I, you can't really imagine anyone else. I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't. And that's the thing. It's like, you got to think, like, things like this, like, films like this, he's only got 
you know, like, you're never going, like, we'll look back on this film in, like, it'll be timeless. And it's like, it's like if someone like Clint Eastwood, you know, at 94 delivered, like, a performance like this, you would be wrong not to be like, okay, mm. we've got to give you props for that one, buddy. That was pretty impressive. Yeah. You know, 80, 83, and it's like, just, yeah. you just, oh. And if if you're probably not crying like or really upset by the end of this film, like you're not human. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, it, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. It hurts this film. And um, I and before you off the ending, I just love the shot going through the window and just it just rests. He finally goes outside, or we go outside with him. Yeah, it's just yeah, brilliant. All right. Well, I'm I'm happy to jump into highlight scenes. Cool. Um, mine is definitely, um, the, this is the one that really hit yeah, me and broke I think me. we're going to have the same. Um, thing. it's when Paul finally, like, confronts, oh, okay. um, okay. confronts him and starts hitting him. Okay, that's not the one I was thinking um, of. But you and then that leads into the fallout of that scene where he breaks down crying. Mm. Um, and we kind of... So I'd love your take on this scene because this okay. scene this really hurt, and I just oh it's awful it's awful, it's awful. now because this is my thing, um because he's obviously at this point this is not the Paul of real life this is actually uh is it Bob or Dave um, Ooh, um I think it's I'm not sure what his I'm looking at the cast now I've got like the top eight or nine on here there's the man because it's oh Catherine. the man the, yeah, man, the is man the guy shows up at the nursing yeah at the Bill end. I think his name oh is. you might be right um it's Bill or Bob it's a very simple it's another four yeah, letter but name the, the quote unquote previous but it's not husband. it's not Paul um like Olivia Coleman's partner at that right. time it's like it's the same situation with Catherine being the nurse at the end Bill was um the the doctor overseer um right and this is this to me this is kind of left up to a sort of audience interpretation because it's paul that's hitting him mm. but when coleman enters the room and it leads into this really emotional plea from hopkins character paul kind of looks shocked at his reaction okay um like and it's now mm. it's now switched to the paul uh who's the real life paul not Bill, and I was was it wonder- was it Paul that hit him though, wasn't it? Well, oh. this is my thing. Well, technically, it's it's what he it was the other one that was hitting him, not not a not um not the Paul of the real life one. So I'm, I know I know what you're saying. Um, I'm a, I'm so a, are you saying that he's actually so internalizing being hit from a previous encounter? So it wasn't Rufus Sewell, who's the real life Paul. It was right. Mark uh, Gatisse, who is ah, oh, that's the man, um, the man. That is. So the he's the man. The he's man, the, man. the, which I didn't know if this was an allegory for him being abused in that nursing home. Um, oh, and he's interesting. Kind of mixing the two events up, whether because at the end his interaction with Bill in real life is he kind of comes in kind of smug and he winks at him, and. He's very despondent towards him. Catherine's the only okay. one that's actually kind of caring towards him. And she's caring throughout. So I don't know if he would, like, whether that was sort of an allegory for, obviously, abuse in, in the nursing home, which um, is obviously another prevalent issue that actually happens quite a bit in nursing yeah. homes, or whether that was Paul that was 
doing that to him. And I actually think it, I'm the one who's thinking it's actually the person that work, the intendant that actually works at the the nursing it's, home. It's an interesting take because I I think I did take it more literally. Like I've never had a pole in real life. Yeah. So that's like the one thing that I'm I'm falling behind on. Like I can't tell you. I could tell you from the very first second he mentioned it, no one took his watch because I understand what's happening in that scene from real life counter uh, interactions. That I don't. So it could be a commentary, you're right, on like the nursing home abuse and that kind of stuff and is he being treated there. I, If I had to pin it, I would probably say it was Paul. Yeah, fair. And that he is just a dick and that's why she left him and went to, was it France or London that she ended up going to? I don't even remember. True. That's I think probably- it was... I, Paris or France or what? Oh, it's Paris. She moves Paris, to Paris. Paris. She goes by herself. So, well, she goes to meet a man over there, if I recall. Okay. I uh yeah. The see the, the film. Uh, this is all purposeful. But <laughs> that was that was me. That was my weird sort of double take from it. Um, okay. Because I feel like it's because he mixes the two up in that scene, and it switches so quickly between the two. When we switch to Coleman's perspective, it's it's Paul. And then when he's actually being hit, it's actually Bill that's doing it, or the man, as right. he cited yeah, on, yeah, yeah. Uh, on Letterbox. And man. Um, so it's kind of like, because obviously they're trying to show the fragmentation of his memory, but it's obviously he's remembering this from a, this distinct memory mm. from like the two different people. So I find that really interesting. And he also... The first time he sees the man, he's very negative of him. He goes, like, like how dare he come into... Like, it's he's very always right. towards that character in particular. He's very, um, like, antagonized by him over over Paul. Like, the real life, the, the, the other one who's the real Paul. So... <laughs> It's tricky. That's uh, tricky, but I, I, that's kind of the, what I got from it. I mean, the fallout okay. from that scene is, is brutal. Um, See, now the scene I thought you were going to talk about, I actually like didn't have a highlight scene written down, but mm-hmm. then as we're talking, it, it became very obvious to me what the highlight scene is. It is the scene where it, just, I, it broke me was Olivia Coleman, And I guess this does happen pretty soon after that. That is sort of the, the next step or the next beat, if you will. Yeah. Is her telling him that he is... He's going to a nursing home. It's happening. And now this was tough for me as well because I'm glad that we never did that like within our family. It never got to that stage and mm-hmm. it was sort of just a case of my mum just holding out, just doing it and looking after her until she passed away. Yeah. And that's something that we can look back on and be proud that we did that. Mm-hmm. So there is... There was that discomfort of... I was really hoping that that wouldn't happen in this film. Not not from a, like a, just narratively. I was hoping the character of Anne, Anne Annie, I think it's Anne, just didn't do that. Mm-hmm. But I understand why, because it's almost like a bit of a commentary. And we didn't talk about it much at all in this in the episode so far, but like, just, her, there is, you know, like you said, it's not the focus of the film, but we do see her struggling and yeah, debating. Coleman definitely gets second billing in this, mm. obviously in this film, and she does get a couple of perspective shift moments, um, mostly at tipping points of acts. She gets... Um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, she gets one where she actually envisions her, like, suffocating, oh, yeah. um, which is a really a great, great scene. scene. Um and so it's not like she is without like merit, but mm. 
um obviously if you're gonna you people the the performance is all hold up based on hopkins performance here yeah um she's great i mean my second probably my second favorite scene is when he is just abusing this new uh carer laura oh, yeah yeah who laura. he believes that, isn't that a great reveal um, it's a completely different carer like after all that time yeah and that laura That's... is actually like his daughter yeah you know? yeah yeah um and obviously he's stalking around the room abusing mm. watching coleman's face just slowly deteriorate and she's very good at her facial expressions are just fantastic um yeah the way she just crumbles and but she's so warm and caring as a person yeah that when she's watching that play out you're right like you can see it on her face sort of just completely losing control of the situation there's nothing she can do or say yeah um so she's brilliant and that yeah, that scene just... I mean, obviously their performances, their back and forth is brilliant in that scene, but just just what that scene meant for those characters. They, when you talk about hitting home, like, poof, that's it right there. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant So she gets film. her moments too. It's very sad. <laughs> yeah. You really got to... If you're going to tackle this film, which we implore you do... Mm. Um, we just spoiled it for you, but... You've got to... <laughs> you got to take it you got to take a, a box of tissues for sure. <laughs> That's probably my best recommendation. Yeah, for sure. And and probably best way to know to end it on is like, like you said, you, you have people in your life that are actively avoiding this film. Um, I will take my mum to see this. And um, I think probably the reason why is just that there is... Anthony Hopkins is very lonely in this film or he ends in a somewhat lonely place mentally and physically. And I would like my mum to see this and realise like this is the experience that others have had and it wasn't just her sort of thing and it wasn't just her mum so I want to end it on that note if I want to be sappy <laughs> no worries well the father is currently out in cinemas near you or if you're overseas it's on VOD pretty much <laughs> if you're overseas suck it <laughs> watch Shiver Baby screw you yes speaking <laughs> of streaming and cinemas Jake what's new to streaming and cinemas this week not a lot this week um prime is dropping a bunch of films i'm just gonna read them this week it comes she's the man 2012 the smurfs one and two gangs of new york super bad baby driver stepbrothers social network blade runner 2049 and her so i just got that list got better and better as i read it (laughs) (laughs) um and then new films coming uh netflix sees love and monsters i think that's up for a visual effects nom i think at the oscars it sees dylan o'brien play a guy living in a monster infected world and learns that his girlfriend is just 85 miles away to make the dangerous journey he must discover his inner hero to be with the girl of his dreams uh coming to believe it or not apple tv there's actually something new coming to apple tv it's a miracle Uh, yeah (laughs) the year earth change which sees david attenborough narrate over the story of nature and wildlife reclaiming deserted cities for the first time in decades following the covid world lockdowns this it's only about 40 45 minutes but this looks incredible really i can i would love to watch this when it comes out on friday and new in cinemas is a preview screening of the united states versus billy holiday of course andrea day's nomination comes from this film so that's this friday as well april 16th preview screening at luna very exciting leadable yes okay no worries well we're not catching any of those next week on the show (laughs) 
However, we are catching something that is new to cinemas. Hey, we gotcha. Throw your bone. But Jake, what are we watching? This week in the show, we're watching Supernova. So you have to find the three brightest lights there that make the triangle. These ones? Mm-hmm. And that's where the Milky Way is. It's good to get back on the road again, don't you think? But how about just exploring the outer regions of fifth gear? this holiday wouldn't end a gay couple played by stanley tucci and colin firth embark on a road trip as dementia starts to take hold of one of them why see why are we doing this again i don't know why we're putting ourselves <laughs> through this two weeks in a row um yes this is gonna we be ourselves it's a tough act to follow i feel bad for supernova because seeing the tra- we saw the trailer back in ammonite yeah um, a while ago and um we both were kind of warm on the idea of seeing it looked it. good um, yeah Two very strong actors, obviously. Um, unfortunately, it's just had the really tough act to follow with, with the father. So hopefully, we're gonna, we should approach it as as fresher eyes, especially when I'm like, there's no film that you could ever watch you ever, literally, <laughs> you literally just on this had episode. that monologue an hour ago. Um, literally <laughs> on this episode. It's kind of ironic that we saw that trailer while watching Ammonite, which was just the poor version of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. <laughs> It all Ooh. comes as a, no. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, gonna I, I'm gonna give Supernova the credit. I'm not going to pit it up against the father. I'm gonna pit it up against Still Alice, because ah, this okay. is about early onset Alzheimer's. Right. Whereas we could argue that the father is more about senile Alzheimer's, which is a little different. Whereas okay. Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth's characters are very much middle aged men. Okay. Whereas Fair point. Uh, same thing with Still Alice. That was about middle aged couples. So I will be pitting it up against that. Good call. Um, I appreciate democracy at, at its finest. Yeah, and I am very excited. I l- love Colin Firth in particular. Um, and I've always... Uh, Stanley Tucci used to piss me off in the Transformers movies. Oh. Like, just... I just... But then it's like we just talked about fi- another I- Transformer alumni in that's Anthony true, Hopkins. <laughs> am I thinking of Mark Strong in... Um, uh, Kingsman. Kingsman. Is that him or is that Stanley Tucci? No, that's Mark, Mark Strong's in Kingsman, but oh, okay. for Supernova, it's Stanley Tucci. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what yeah. I, I like them both anyway. He's good in drama roles, generally. He just <laughs> sure. picks money. Well, they all pick money roles. Who am I kidding? Uh, <laughs> They're fine. They're uh, well off. Anyway, thank you for joining us on the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Supernova. Supernova.